The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and he took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahirath in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we had said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve Wow, this long. The Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariots' wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then said the Lord to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, 
the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. <coughs> Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers by the kids' zone sign in the back. And if it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so they can get checked in. AC may never read scripture for us again. Thank you. (laughs) Well, good morning. My name is Mark. Uh, I'm not on staff here, but this morning it kind of feels like it after getting a late night call to play guitar over here too. Um, I teach high schoolers New Testament at Macaulay just down the road. Uh, And this past Friday, was that a fist bump? Oh, there's one of the students back there. Hi, welcome back. (laughs) Uh, This past Friday at school, they brought in a guest speaker to celebrate MOK weekend. And his name is Anthony Ray Hinton, and he spent 30 years on Alabama's death row. In 1985, he was wrongfully accused and convicted of murdering two restaurant managers, even though he had an airtight alibi. Uh, He's an African-American man, and it was made very clear to him by several people along the way that someone had to take the fall for these murders. They didn't really think it was him, but since he was black, he was going to be the one to take the fall. 30 years in prison just waiting for someone to tell them when he was going to be executed. No hope of getting out on his own. He couldn't afford an attorney. And at Alabama, at this point at least, uh, there were no funds for like a post-conviction attorney. So there was no one else to look back and plead his case for him. He was just, he was done. Anthony spent three decades wrongfully accused on death row. And if you're familiar with the story, he eventually did get out. About eight years ago, he got out. Uh, An organization paid for lawyers and experts to kind of plead his case on his behalf. And I know that's a heavy story to start off with, uh, but can you imagine, think about this, can you imagine at any point in Anthony's life, do you think he thought, man, I'd like to go back to death row? No, it's not a, it's not a trick question. There's no way he thought, well, I want to go back there. It was much better back there. Absolutely not. And legally speaking, he was a free man, right? He He does not have to live the rest of his life wondering, well, is some new evidence going to come up or somebody going to say something? He's free completely. What I want to pitch at you this morning is that the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, not only is this a picture of freedom, but it's a picture of how God saves us. So with that in mind, let's dive in. Let me pray, and then we'll go for it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. It's powerful and living and active. Uh, Even a story that was thousands of years ago has something very clear to tell us about who you are and who we are. We thank you for not erasing the ugly parts of your people's history where they falter and doubt and are faithless because we're just like that. And so would you comfort our hearts, help us to see you are a God who is gracious and kind and powerful. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a lot we could focus on in our passage this morning. Uh, The passing of the Red Sea, it is one of the biggest events in Israel's history. The rest of the Old Testament is constantly referring back to it. 
The New Testament is talking about it a good bit too. But what I really want us to hone in on is this idea of freedom, right? How the Israelites viewed and lived out their freedom and how you and I as Christians, if you're a Christian this morning, how we interact with our freedom that we've been given by Jesus. Because even though we look at the Israelites, they're complaining to Moses, they're saying they wish they could still be slaves back in Egypt. Even though we can read that and kind of shake our heads in disbelief, we do the same thing, don't we? Right? Functionally, if you consider yourself a Christian this morning, you and I are so quick to run back to the things that used to imprison us. We are so quick to go back to our old masters thinking, well, maybe they'll treat me better this time. Maybe I'll actually be happy and comfortable giving myself to them. Many of you are familiar with this passage in Exodus, but if you're not or you need a refresher, God's people were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and then God raised up someone to bring them out, a man named Moses. And Moses was a Jewish man, but as a baby, there was a genocide going on in Egypt. And so his mom put him in a little raft that she made and pushed him down the river, Uh, and it was actually Pharaoh's daughter who found him and adopted this Jewish boy. And so Moses is just Jewish, but he grew up kind of in Pharaoh's court. Um, And so Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. And so through Moses, God sent 10 plagues. And at the end of those 10 plagues, Moses finally says, get out of here. Take your people and go. But what happens in verse 5 from our passage? It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? In other words, we just let go of our free labor force. Who's going to finish all these pyramids we've been building? And so in verse 6, Pharaoh gathers his army. It says he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt. Like this is one of the most impressive armies in the world at this moment. This is the equivalent of sending like a bunch of U.S. military drones to go break up like a protest, right? This This is the most excessive use of force you could possibly use. And Pharaoh's not doing this because he wants to sign a peace treaty, right? He either wants to get them back as slaves or he wants to kill every single one of them. Those are their options. You could return to slavery or you could die. Pharaoh and his infinitely superior army are rolling towards the Israelites who had been camping in the desert since they left Egypt. And I don't know about you, I I even enjoy camping, but I'm never like well-rested after sleeping on the ground every night. And to top it all off, the Israelites are pinched in, right? They've got the Egyptian armies coming towards them on this side, and their backs are against the Red Sea on this side. No bridges to get across, no boats, no paddle boards. And to make matters even more intense, if you're here last week, Ben preached on the chapter before, and he pointed out that if you're leaving Egypt and you go east, like that's the way to go, because there's actually like land that you could walk across to get to the place where they were going. But God intentionally tells Moses, he says, I want you to take him south. I want you to go near to the Red Sea. It's almost as if God wanted there to be no doubt that he is the one who is saving them and freeing them from slavery. And so God leads them out of the frying pan into the fryer. My wife hates that saying. I think it's great. Uh, To make known his power to everyone. To leave no room for anyone to question just how they had been freed. Much like you and I, though, uh, at the time, the Israelites just didn't get it. Look back at verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? That's sarcasm, by the way, if you didn't catch that. Uh, Egypt was known for its graves. Like, that's what the pyramids are. They're just giant tombs. And they say, What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? 
Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I know Exodus pretty well, and I don't think they ever actually said that. Right? Uh, in chapter 12, when God tells Moses to tell the people about the Passover, right, where God was going to come over Egypt and judge the Egyptians, but he said, I'll pass over any of the Israelites who have the blood of a lamb covering their doorway. Did they, did they kind of shake their fists and say, no, leave us as slaves. We really want to stay here doing manual labor. No. In verse 27, it says, and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. But when they find themselves in a situation that they can't get themselves out of, they cry out to the same God who has just freed them from slavery. We were better off working for these guys, these taskmasters, right? I guess your salvation only goes so far, God. Thanks for nothing. Again, I want us to be careful that we're not too hard on the Israelites. Uh, the longer I spent in this passage, the more I found myself identifying with the Israelites. Uh, because what was true of the Israelites is true for the Christian. And I think a lot of us need to hear this this morning. You can know and follow and love Jesus, and you can by faith accept Jesus' invitation for freedom and forgiveness. Right? You can be justified by God. That's a Bible term, meaning you can be declared righteous in the eyes of God by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf. By faith in Jesus, you can have a permanent, perfect standing with God. That can be true of you, and you can know that. You can follow Jesus, and yet, it can also be true of you that you can be tempted to go back and serve your old masters. Uh, you can find yourself wanting to run back to the master of achievement and success, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. Right? Or the master of escapism, right? And you're willing to take in massive amounts of Netflix and alcohol to kind of numb yourself to what's actually going on. Uh, you can find yourself pining for the master of sexual fulfillment, whatever that might look like in your life. Uh, or you might find yourself bending the knee to social standing, right? Gossiping about people, putting them down just to build yourself up. Kind of only hanging out with the right people as opposed to people who just need a friend. Whatever masters you find yourself being pulled back towards, or maybe pulled towards for the first time, as we get older, our desires change, uh, please don't make the mistake of thinking that you're somehow not a Christian when you feel those really strong pulls on your heart. Uh, Tim Keller, he wrote an entire book on this called Counterfeit Gods. It's really good. And it's all about what the Bible and he calls idols. And he writes, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and here's the kicker, it's anything you seek to give you what only God can give. He says, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Do you have anything like that in your life? Something that promises to give you what you've always wanted if you'll just give yourself to it completely. If you stick with us as we make our way through the book of Exodus, you're going to see the Israelites do this a lot. Right? They're gonna, things are going to be really bad for them. God's going to come in and miraculously save them. They'll praise God. They'll be good for a while. And then things will get hard again. And they'll throw their hands up in the air and say, well, I wish we were just back in Egypt again. Uh, their idols were being exposed, weren't they? That's what happened to us when our idols are exposed. We think, this is terrible. I just want to go back to where I was. And God exposing your idols is what I imagine a root canal is like. I've never had one, but I've heard they are incredibly painful. 
and uncomfortable, but they're good and necessary. Maybe you hear all this talk about idols and masters and you think, well, what does is, what is the Christian life actually offer? What does the Bible claim that a life of freedom looks like? Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself in a prison of your own making and you're sick of it, but you can't get out of it. Uh, you know, the things you thought would bring you comfort and hope and peace, uh, they're just not cutting it and you feel more trapped than you ever thought possible. And we have good news here for you this morning. Uh, because contrary to the popular definition of Disney, you know, made popular by Elsa, it's time to see what I can do. <laughs> Test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Right? Let it go. But in contrast to what the Princess of Arendelle would say, the paradigm-shifting model of, of the Bible is that you will only truly be free when God is your master, when you submit the knee to God and his design for you. And if you're reading along in Exodus, you would see every time Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go, he doesn't just say that. He typically says, let God's people go that they may serve God. Let his people go so they may worship him. You and I will always be serving something or someone. And as soon as we get rid of one idol, another just swoops in to take its place. Right? John Calvin famously said that our hearts are idol factories. They just crank them out. There's never going to be a void where we're not worshiping something. You know, or the more modern theologian, Bob Dylan, once saying that you've got to serve somebody, right? I won't do the nasal voice because it's terrible. Uh, but if you haven't figured this out already, you will eventually. Everything in life, that can, everything this life has to offer, if you make it your ultimate goal or you make it your ultimate treasure or you say, I've got to have this above all else, if you fail it, it will crush you. It will take everything from you. Y'all, God is the only one who, instead of crushing you and your failures, extends forgiveness and grace every time, every time. Instead of demanding that you pay the full price for ultimate comfort and joy and peace, things that this world can't actually give you, instead of demanding that you write the check, Jesus pays for it in full by his own blood. Amen? Just look at how Moses responds to the Israelites, saying that they would be better off as slaves in Egypt. This is verse 13. Uh, and this is the heart of God towards his people then, and it's the heart of God towards you today. Moses says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What Moses is saying is the same thing that the Apostle Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers will say. Fear not. Trust God. Stand firm. God will fight for you. Right? Your salvation doesn't depend on your works or what you have done or not done. Your salvation depends on what Jesus has done on your behalf. And I love the last part. You have only to be silent. You have only to close your mouth and just watch God do it. And then this incredible display, the Red Sea opens up, God's people walk through on dry land, and as Pharaoh and his armies are coming, uh, the waves crash down on their enemies. God's people are free, complete freedom from slavery. And the beautiful thing about it is that it is so clear that it, is, it has nothing to do with what God's people did. It is totally dependent on God. All they did was follow Moses, and they didn't even do a very good job of that, did they? They constantly complained. They constantly looked back from when they first left Exodus 
And he said, thanks a lot, but it would be, just be better off if we had just stayed there anyway. Right? These folks were not taking selfies and saying, like, yeah, hashtag blessed on Instagram as they're walking through the desert. And if you're familiar with the rest of the history of God's people, these are not good people. Right? They do terrible things when they finally get where they're headed. They do some awful things. Just read the book of Judges if you're looking for some light reading. It's like an ancient Quentin Tarantino movie script. <laughs> they just kill everybody. And the more you look at it, the more you realize that God's people were just as wicked and evil and cruel and unjust as the Egyptians. On paper, there was no reason where God said, yeah, these guys deserve to be free and these guys don't. The Israelites had just witnessed the 10 plagues. They had just seen God free them from slavery. And just before God saves them again in front of the Red Sea, they just lost all hope. So the question is, how can God save these people, right? How can God, who is perfect and holy and God who hates sin, how can he call these people his own? When short, they need a mediator. They need a middleman, a go-between. Uh, look back at verse 15. This is after the people cry out and Moses tells them to just stop talking and what, watch what God will do. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. I mean, Moses is the only one who's not complaining here, isn't he? He's the only one who's not sinning. He's patiently waiting for God to save them. And yet God is rebuking him. He's saying, why do you cry out to me? This is so good. This is crucial for us to get. God has made Moses their mediator, right? He represents them to God. And even though Moses did not sin, uh, the sin of the people was counted as his own. So God rebukes him for it. Because a me and a mediator goes both ways, doesn't it? He's representing the people to God, but God is, he's also representing God to the people. Not only does Moses represent that, God speaks through Moses to the people. And it's through Moses that God is going to bring his salvation. Have you thought about that? I mean, God could have just as easily spoken a word and part of the Red Sea and given them salvation. But he chooses to use this man to bring them salvation, to work through this mediator. About 12 or 1400 years later, uh, during Jesus' ministry on earth, uh, he takes three of his closest friends up to a mountain, and it's what we call the transfiguration. Kind of the, the veil of his humanity is pulled back a little bit, and his glory just bursts forth in this bright, shiny light. Uh, and there's two people, two Old Testament people who are with him. Does anybody remember who they are? Moses and Elijah, right? And as Jesus is showing them his glory, these two guys show up. And in Luke's Gospel in chapter 9, we get a really fascinating description of what the three of them are talking about. It's Luke 9, verse 30. It says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They spoke of his departure that Jesus was about to accomplish. And the original Greek that that was written in, that word departure is the word exodus. Right? Jesus was headed to Jerusalem to accomplish the true exodus of his people, right? to accomplish this ultimate freedom, not just from masters and idols, but from slavery to sin and death itself. And Christianity claims that Jesus would accomplish this by living a perfect life, by substituting himself in a death on the cross, and three days later rising from the dead. 
Jesus is the mediator who did what we could not possibly hope to do. Uh, Anthony Ray Hinton, who we talked about earlier, if left to his own efforts, he would have spent more than 30 years on death row and would have been executed. And that was it. All right, but eventually an organization, they just wrote to him out of the blue and said, hey, we looked at your case. We want to help you out. And so out of their own pockets, they hired these three ballistic experts, and they found out that the bullets used in the evidence couldn't possibly match the gun that they thought was used in this. And so after it went to the Supreme Court, Anthony was declared not guilty, innocent of all crimes. Incredible. But it never could have happened without a mediator. He had to have someone go on his behalf and do the work for him. God's salvation for his people at the Red Sea it helps us understand Jesus. Right? Because just as Moses the mediator was rebuked for the sins of the people, so too is Jesus rebuked for the sins of his people. Uh, but where Moses crossed over with, on dry land without a scratch, Jesus did something different, something far better, and he gained a freedom for his people that's permanent and eternal. Because while the Egyptians were defeated, was that the end of the Israelites' problems and enemies? No, they're always fighting somebody. Other enemies would come. Other masters would pull the hearts of God's people away. Sin would still have a death grip on God's people. And so on the cross, Jesus took the sin of all of his people. They were all charged to his accounts, right? All your sin, all your sin, and my sin, it was all credited to Jesus. And as Jesus died on the cross, the picture I want you to see is of him standing in the middle of this Red Sea road and the waves of God's wrath just completely crushing him, falling down on him. Jesus was treated like an enemy so that by faith you could be treated like a son or a daughter of the king. As we sang earlier in Isaiah 43, those words are just plucked straight out of scripture. That's God speaking through the prophet. If you follow Jesus, this is what God says to you this morning and forever, Christian. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and the waves will not overcome you. Do not fear for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you're mine. And if you follow Jesus, the ways of this life will not overcome you. Because even if you die, Jesus has defeated death. Christian, you're free. You're free to love and serve the Lord. You're free to love and serve others. You're free to give yourself away for the benefit of others. You are free to not be undone by the woes of this life because of what awaits you in the next. Enjoy that freedom. And if you don't know that freedom, please consider this an invitation. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible freedom we have in Christ. We don't deserve it. Uh, we deserve the waves of your judgment to crash on us. Uh, we have gone against you so many times, and we will continue to go against you. Uh, but we thank you for the mediator we have in Jesus who lived a perfect life for us and who died the death we should have died and who rose again, bursting the bonds that death and sin have over us. Lord, would you send us out of here knowing that if we follow Jesus, we are free and we are free to share that with others. We know that you are a powerful God who works mightily and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And sin have over us. Lord, would you send us out of here knowing that if we follow Jesus, we are free, and we are free to share that with others. We know that you are a powerful God who works mightily, 
And we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.